like last September, we started reading together a book by John Ortberg called The Life You've Always Wanted. And um, I, books were supposed to be here on Friday. Some of you requested copies last week, and uh, they were not here on Friday, but they will be here tomorrow. And so if you want a copy of the book, uh, once they're in my possession, I will send out a message and let you know they're here. And if you want a copy, I will make sure to get you one uh, as soon as I can this week. I know there were a few of you that I promised that they would be here uh, this week, but never promise when shipping is involved. And so (laughs) you just don't know in our day and age. And so they are coming. Um, If you have a copy, uh, it's a great resource talking about spiritual disciplines and how to use spiritual disciplines to live out the life Jesus died to provide for us. Jesus died so we could have access to the Father so that we could live in the kingdom now and that everywhere we go, we would be kingdom carriers. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Everywhere we go, the presence of God is. It is, it is. And I know we hear that all the time, so it's like, oh yeah, we know God is with us. No, God is with us. The almighty God, creator of the universe, the one who can do immeasurably immeasurably more than all we would ask or imagine is with us all the time. When we feel like it, he's with us. When we don't feel like it, he's with us. When we're yelling at our spouse, he's with us. And when we're being well-behaved, he's with us. And he is with us and he is fighting for us. Okay, one of the things, he's not with us, you know, with a checklist. Oh, we're going to have to talk about that one later. Oh, yep, they messed that one up. He is there fighting for us. Okay, he already knew every mistake you were ever going to make from the day you were born till the day you die, before you were born, before you were even created in the womb. He knew them. So he doesn't have to stand there waiting for them. He knows them, and he's fighting for you. It's almost like when Jesus was with Peter at the table and said, Peter, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. And when you turn back, (laughs) I mean, it's like you're going to (laughs) fail, but when you turn back, I've prayed for you, Peter, when you turn back, that's the God that fights for us. He knows the mistakes. He's not surprised. He's not like, oh, did you see the, what they just did? No, he knew you were about to do it, and he's fighting for you. And that doesn't mean that, oh, it's, we can just live however we want. And that's what we're afraid of. If we tell people things like that, they'll just live however they want. No, they'll get free to live empowered by God's grace. Because mm-hmm, even when we think we're living right, we're not. We're going to get to that. I don't want to get ahead. But last week we started chapter 12. It's called A Well-Ordered Heart. A Well-Ordered Heart. And we looked at a few parts of that. And today we're going to talk about the unoffendable heart. The unoffendable heart. And just a brief recap from last week, this idea of the, the well-ordered heart. John talks to us in the chapter about the balanced lifestyle that we all crave. You know, we want to balance work and home and all the aspects of our life. And the danger of that is we begin to compartmentalize our lives. And some parts of our lives get seen as non-spiritual. And yet, God wants to be involved and engaged in every part of our lives. There is no sacred part of our life and then a secular part of our life. It's God. He's with us all the time. And He's with us fighting for us. And his point is not that we should try to live an unbalanced life, because that's not the, the answer, but the point is that we need to seek after a well-ordered heart in the midst of our life. And the balance paradigm, when we think about balancing our lives, assumes that our problems are external. But our problems are not external, our problems are internal. Jesus himself said in Luke 6.45, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And I know that some of us are like, oh, don't, I mean, that's not true. Like, I know that thing slipped out of my, it slipped out of my mouth. No, it didn't slip out of anywhere. It came from our heart. And I know for some of us, we're like, are you saying my heart is evil? Uh, your heart's in transition. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. I don't want to say your heart is evil, but it's definitely in transition, as is mine. And when something comes out of my mouth or out of my life 
with my hands or any action that is not pleasing to God. I, I don't want to blame whoever or whatever made me do that. That was in my heart. I can have a well-ordered heart that causes me to act like Jesus in every moment. When he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth to retaliate. And yet he entrusted himself fully to the Father. And he did that to show us how we can do it. The thing is, Ezekiel 36 clearly tells us the moment we become believers, when we put faith in Christ, we get a new heart. We get a new spirit. The Spirit of God lives inside of us. But it's not an instantaneous transformation. Amen? Some of you live with people that are not in instantaneous transformation. We are in process. We are being sanctified. And when that stuff comes out of our lives, rather than excuse it, rather than rationalize it, if we would repent, if we'd acknowledge it, God, that is in my heart and it has no place there. I am a child of God. That evil no longer needs to be there. Root it out of me. That type of honesty is all he's looking for because he already knew you were going to do it. And we're afraid of that sometimes in the church because we don't want to appear... Like we don't have it all together. But guess what? The only reason we ever appear to have anything together is the grace and mercy of God. And anything I have together is the grace and mercy of God. That's it. All the time. And so Colossians 3.17 is really the key verse of this chapter. Learning to do everything everything, whatever we do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we looked at it last week, this list, not an exhaustive list. How do we wake up in Jesus' name? How do we greet people in Jesus' name? How do we eat in Jesus' name and drive and work and shop and use the internet and watch television and go to bed at night so that we're not frustrated and crabby in the morning? Okay? All of these things. And not in a legalistic sense, but in a sense of I really want to do my life with Jesus in focus of everything. And I, I cautioned us last week, only one. Pick one. Let the Holy Spirit show you one. Don't try to tackle 10 things on this list. You won't do any of them. But let the Holy Spirit begin to show you this month ahead. What are those things in our hearts that need to be cleaned up? And have the humility to not ignore the warning signs. When we say things or we act in certain ways that we should not have acted, own it. Own it. My kids didn't make me do it. My spouse didn't make me do it. That bad driver didn't make me do it. Nobody made me do it. The devil didn't even make me do it. It was my own evil, own evil desire is what we learned from James. So today we're going to talk about the unoffendable heart. And this is one of my favorite, favorite topics to talk about, not because uh, I'm good at it and not because I like it, but because I believe it's a core value of the kingdom. There are three books that we have read uh, over the course of our, our time at, as Restoration Church that I think are just gold. Like they are core value books of the kingdom. One is the book Keep Your Love On by Danny Silk, which talks about how to love people, um, tr genuinely love people with the love of God, and how to set healthy boundaries, how to be assertive, how to even confront in, in a good way, in a loving way. Great book. The book Honors Reward by John Bevere, a uh, crucial book because I believe honor is a kingdom value and honor is lost in our, our society today. Uh, even in the American church, we don't honor. We don't honor our president. We don't honor our leaders. We, we, the, the language that comes out of our mouths toward people, um, the reason the kingdom doesn't flourish in our lives is a lack of honor. I'll just say that. We need more honor in our lives, all of us. We need to grow in it. We need to understand it. Jesus honored us. The Son of God honored us. And we, weren't, we were his enemies when he did it. So, key value. The other one is this idea of unoffendable. And there's two books that we've used over the course of time. One is The Bait of Satan by John Bevere, which is really how the enemy uses offense to divide the body of Christ, to actually poison us as individuals. And the other is a book called Unoffendable by Brant Hansen. And back in 2019, we went through a series of this and we studied it in our small groups. Um, profound, powerful book about contending for this kingdom lifestyle and being unoffendable is a part of it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, this is one of the core values, key, key statements of our church, key scriptures. Brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. For us, that means 
for the kingdom lifestyle. Whether that's healing for the spirit, healing for the body, healing for the soul, it's about signs and wonders, it's about honor, it's about being unoffendable, it's about keeping our love on. It, full restoration is every day of my life living as if kingdom has come. Because kingdom has come. And I need to live like it. And all around me is kingdom that's not kingdom. And I can live in the kingdom all the time. I don't do it all the time. I don't do it well all the time. But I'm going to keep striving for full restoration. That's what we do. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And one of the aspects of that that we really began talking about in 2018, 2019 is the restoration of divisions that are in our societies as people whether that be class or gender or denominations or even the racial divisions that divide us as a nation. And for those that don't think we have race problems in our nation, you're fooling yourself, we do. And many of us aren't even aware of them because we won't listen to anyone that says anything different than what we believe. We close our ears and we don't listen. There are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus that say things differently than you and I, that we discount and we push away from the table. And as a result of it, we lack the kingdom unity and power that I believe God wants to bring in this day and in this age. I believe in 2020, what happened is it was easily exposed, it was exposed to us how easily offended we can become. You know, when we all got quarantined and all of our frustrations got high and we all got at each other's throats? I mean, you can blame COVID. You can blame the, the COVID policies. You can blame the, the liberals. You can blame Donald Trump. You can blame whoever you want to blame. But the problem was the condition of our hearts. And 2020 revealed the condition of our hearts and not a lot of us repented from that. We just, went, we just blamed everything else and let's get back to normal. And I wonder if we missed exactly what we needed to learn in that moment. That there was a condition of our hearts that needed to be dealt with. When it comes to being unoffendable, being unoffendable is going to be key for those in the last days to reach people for the kingdom. Our job, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, is not about being right. It's about reconciling people. I'm going to say that again. Our job is not about being right. It's about reconciling people. Now, I'm not saying we'd be wrong, but some of us would rather be right than reconcile. And you can reconcile and still be right. But you can be right and not reconcile. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his plea through us. We plead with you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Wherever on this planet there is a human being that is not reconciled to God, here is God's will for you. Implore them to be reconciled to God. Implore them. And in order to do that at times, you're going to have to absorb offense. I'm not saying stuff it. I'm not saying ignore it. But you're going to have to absorb it in the same way that Jesus modeled. And that's what we're going to talk about. In our society today, we are watching the death of meaningful dialogue. We no longer listen. We're all certain that we're right. Christians, we're sure that we're right. And here's what Beth Moore says. Nobody's never wrong. She's a wise lady. Nobody's never wrong. Nobody's never wrong. And if we're going to be undefendable, we have to learn to listen. And we listen to people not because we're going to agree with them. We listen to them because we value them, because we want to understand them, because we want to hear them, and we want them to know they've been heard. So that when we offer them hope, we have earned the right to say something to them. Jesus modeled this. He sat at the table with people he had no business sitting at the table with. And he valued them, he honored them, he validated them, and then he gave them hope and truth and life. 
And too many of us today are saying, well, Jesus offended people. Jesus really offended the religious people. I mean, there could have been some sinners in the crowds that walked away, but we don't have a sinner walking up to Jesus leaving offended. We have people that Jesus didn't fit the paradigm for. So be careful when we get offended for Jesus. Because Jesus really didn't get offended a whole lot. He absorbed a lot of offense. We have got to become a people that learn to speak the truth in love. In love. Romans chapter 12, verse 21, a key verse. I I share it all the time. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Read the entire context of Romans 12, 21, about not not getting even with people, not trying to, but blessing people, honoring people, living at peace with people. Humility is about listening to someone tell you something you already know in order to give validation to them. Most of us, when somebody starts telling us something, if we already know they're wrong, or if we think we know they're wrong, we start correct, we start interrupting, we don't listen, we don't ask clarifying questions. Tell me more about that. Let me, let me understand where you're coming from. Help me understand that. You don't have to correct them right away. But we get offended because people are wrong. We get offended, then these offenses come into our heart and we're just out there correcting everybody. And then somebody uses a key phrase and, well, that's this group and that's that group. And you're le- and offense is rampant in our society. And yet we all come to church and say, I'm not offended. <laughs> and God in heaven laughs. Because there's so much offense right now in our church world. It's unbelievable, and yet we're all saying we're not offended. This last week, a youth pastor by the name of Cal Thompson, 66 years old, has youth pastored in North Dakota for forever, as long as I've been here. Um, Died of a heart attack, 66 years old. His memorial service was this past week. And Pastor Cal... um, Twyla Kuntz, who was the, the DYD, the district youth director of North Dakota, tells a story where they wanted Cal to become the district youth director. And he's like 20 years older than, than Twyla, and um, maybe more. I'm not trying to tell you how old Twyla is. But he didn't want the position. He didn't feel like the Lord wanted him to have the position. And so Twyla got the position, and she went to Cal and told him, because he was her mentor, we, we both know that you were the one for this position. He said, I didn't, I didn't want the position. I don't think that's what God has for me. But here's the thing. If you need an assistant, I'll be your assistant. I'll be that. I mean, the type of guy that 20, would serve someone 20 years younger as an assistant, that's the guy that Cal was. And I have a, a if you want to put that picture up on the screen, Twyla posted this about Cal um, this last week, he, man, he was a guy, when they came, 1,554 people gathered to celebrate his life. Impact. Youth pastor. He started a Reach the Heart ministry that was taking trips for t- over 20 years to the heart of Minneapolis, the heart of Chicago. When everyone else is crying, Minneapolis is a hellhole, and oh, it's all, it's all. He was still taking trips to Minneapolis to reach the heart of the people. That's the kind of guy he was. 2,000 people watched online, 200 ministers from around the United States, and this was my favorite, Starbucks temporarily closing to allow over 40 colleagues to attend. I mean, rather than boycott, he just went and reached the heart. I mean, we live in a day where we can boycott things, we can fight about things, we can complain about stuff, or we can just be the kind of person that brings the kingdom everywhere we go. And it's not going to happen if we don't develop an unoffendable heart. We do not absorb offense or have an unoffendable heart in order to keep the peace. We just don't, we want to keep the peace. We don't want to, no, that we don't do it. We do it to bring peace. We bring peace. Yes, there's a time to speak. Yes, there's a time to act. But we have to be as shrewd as serpents and yet as innocent or gentle as doves. And that's something in the church world that we have yet to learn. 
But being unoffendable is about three things. And this is what I want you to think about as we walk through a couple scriptures together. Being unoffendable is about trusting that God is sovereign and able to work all things for good. It's trusting that God is sovereign and able to work all things for good. That does not mean God causes all things. But God can use our poor choices and God can use the poor choices of others and he can work all things for good. I don't need to get offended because God can work this for my good. I believe it. And if I believe it, I'll live unoffended. The second thing is, we have to understand the relationship that you and I have with him as a son or daughter. We have to be fully convinced of our relationship with God as a son or daughter. We have to understand how we got there. Do you know how we got there? Mercy and grace. He has never treated us as our sins deserved. Every one of us in this room, every one of us watching online, he has never one time treated you as your sins deserved. Never. In fact, what he has given us is while we were his enemies, he died for us. That's grace. Mercy and grace. And do you know how we stay there as sons and daughters? Well, yes, Pastor Tom, by attending church services, by praying an hour a day, by reading three Bible chapters, by memorizing the scripture, by living a good life, by making sure I don't sin. No, we stay there by mercy and grace. We stay there by mercy and grace. And some of you are looking at me like that's not rocket science, but get, we've got to understand this. On my best day, when I feel like I haven't sinned, I've pretty much handled everything well throughout that day, I am still as dependent upon the mercy and grace of God as on my worst day. Because it's never my performance. It's always the mercy and grace of God. And when we don't understand that, we can't be a conduit of that mercy and grace to others. Because then we start thinking we're doing pretty well and they aren't. We forget how we stay there. And then we start thinking those people deserve something and we actually deserve better. And that's the danger. So being unoffendable is not saying there's no such thing as sin. There is a sin. There is sin. It's not saying it doesn't matter how you live. It does matter how you live. It's not allowing people to genuinely victimize people and just sitting quietly and doing nothing. No, there's a time to speak up. But being unoffendable is making sure that we handle the moment exactly like Jesus would. Interestingly, in three years, we have one example of Jesus overturning tables. So here's what I would guess. Once every three years, overturn some tables. The rest of the time, just love people. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but I just thought that was ironic. Because that's usually what people turn to. Well, Jesus overturned tables. He did it one time in three years. Okay. Let's talk about developing the un unoffendable heart. Here it is. You want to develop an unoffendable heart? Understand offenses are going to come. You have to. You have to understand offenses are going to come. Now that might make you sound cynical or become cynical. Don't become cynical. Just understand they're going to happen. They're going to happen by accident. People are going to offend you or give you the opportunity to become offended accidentally. They're not even going to realize they did it. Okay? Other people are going to do it on purpose. <laughs> they are going to know full well what they're doing. They're going to be pushing your buttons. But either way, don't be surprised. And don't take the bait. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. 
I love this passage of Scripture because after all the miracles, raising the dead, seeing the 5,000 be fed, the 3,000 be fed, or the 4,000 be fed, and the blinded eyes open, all the miracles they see, Jesus starts talking to them about relational issues, and that's when they're like, we're going to need more faith for that. So understand this. If you are going to live in community with people, you are going to need to exercise faith. Jesus, on the other hand, does not come to them and say, uh, here, let me give you more faith. Jesus actually tells them, you already have enough, enough faith, you just need to exercise it. If you have a little bit of faith, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be thrown into the sea. It's not about getting more faith, it's just about exercising what you have. And so if you have come to, the, to follow Christ and the Spirit of God lives in you, you have everything you need to choose not to be offended. You do. You just have to use it. The word for offense in this passage is the Greek word scandalon. And that is the, the, if you've read the book, The Bait of Satan by John Bevere, he goes into great detail. It's the part of a trap. If you think of like a bear trap that opens up and you put some bait on that trap, it's on that little like lever thing so that when the animal steps on it, the trap closes. That, that word scandalon is that stick. It's that trap. It's that lever if you will. And so what Jesus is saying is the opportunity to take that is going to come, but it's going to close on you like a trap. Don't take the bait. He also says the opportunity to be offended is going to come, but we should take heed not to be the ones causing the offense. Oh, I know, we have to be the responsible ones. Everyone else gets to be irresponsible, but you and I have to be responsible because we've been given the kingdom. You don't want to be responsible? Don't take the kingdom. You want to live however you want to live? Reject Jesus. But when you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, what you have signed up for is kingdom culture. And kingdom culture is the unoffendable heart. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The bitter root closes on us like a trap. Romans chapter 12, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with anyone. Do not take revenge, dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath. It is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not take the bait. The opportunity for offense will come. People will do it accidentally. People will do it on purpose. You have got to learn to deal with it. If we as followers of Christ do not learn to absorb the offense, we are not going to make it. We are going to let that bitter root grow up and it's going to defile many. And it's going to poison our own soul. And we're not going to lead anyone to be reconciled to God. Stephen Furtick is the pastor of Elevation Church, and he does a great message on this. And I would, wanted to show you a video clip, but I don't have the rights to show it online. So I'll show you a picture. The first picture, that's the second picture. The first picture, oh no, I'm sorry, I was wrong, go back. The first picture, I thought I had the one. <laughs> The, this, is, this is the example. So little things happen, you know, in our lives, just like a little offense comes, and we put it in the ground, and sometimes we think about it, sometimes we don't, but then the next time we see that person, it comes back, and we think about it a little bit more. I wonder what they meant by that. They probably meant this. They probably meant to do that to me. They probably don't like me. Mm-mm. And we're like jamming that thing, that piece of wood, into the ground. Boom, boom, over and over. We're meditating on it. We're t- and then, you know, there's the lady on the other side. This is a husband and wife, and she's doing the same thing. He, he, why, did he, why did he say that? Mm-mm-mm. And over time, all those little things, no big things. Things happen, no reason to get offense, but then this happens. Offense. Uh Uh-huh, get it? Offense. (laughs) Offense. And so he does this thing where he gives them the stick. Here's what you got to do. When the opportunity for offense comes, he has the board in his hand. He says, here's what you got to do. Boom. You got to drop it. You got to drop it. And drop it doesn't mean don't deal with it. It doesn't mean suppress it. Sometimes you have to drop it means you've got to have a conversation. 
hey, this hurt me when, when, th- when this happened or when you said this, and you really have to work it out because here's what we do in church. Oh, no, I don't want to cause trouble. I don't want to cause any trouble. I don't want to have any conversations. I don't want to have any, I don't, want, I don't like conflict. But what we do then is we suppress it all and we're offended with people and we leave churches. Oh, but we didn't want to cause any trouble. We have taken the bait of the enemy. Because we have brought trouble upon many because we wouldn't have one conversation with the person where there was the offense. And we lie to ourselves and we're like, oh, I'm not offended. I'm not offended. It's funny how many times you listen to husbands and wives talk to each other and they swear they're not offended with each other. And you just wish you could play back the conversation. Because there's offense all through your conversation. And you're both not admitting it. This happens in every level of our relationships. And it's happening in our world. We are, the body of Christ right now is offended with the very people we're trying to reach. And we're wondering why we're not reaching them. Jesus said we would be known by our love. By our love. We have to be ready for the offense to come. We have to trust that God is more than able to work all things for our good even with that offense i can absorb it i can deal with it and i can continue to keep my love on towards you because he is empowering me to do it and because i recognize how he acted toward me romans 5 8 god demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners christ died for us Let that get through your head. The person that you're the most offended with for whatever it is they did to you, what what they did to you does not even compare to what we did to him. And yet he moved towards us unoffendably and gave himself for us. And he expects the same from us. If you want to receive grace... You have to be willing to give it. Don't take my word for it. Jesus, Matthew chapter 6 said, Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So, Lord, forgive me today to the level that I have released others. How much forgiveness is coming our way? In verse 15, he goes on to say, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. That ought to be the most frightening verse in the church today. Colossians chapter 3, as God's holy people, chosen people, holy and dearly loved, look at what we clothe ourselves with. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Is there a time to speak up? Yes, In compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If we're speaking out or up without compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, and patience, we should stop speaking. That's what it means to speak the truth in love. The church will tell you speaking the truth is love. I love you, so I'm going to tell you the truth. If it's not in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, stop speaking because it's not in love. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You may sometimes in your life feel like you go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness and the guilt and the shame don't go away. But I promise you, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so to forgive as he's forgiven us is fully and completely. And I know that that's a difficult road to walk and there's a process sometimes that's involved in restoring a relationship. I'm not going to deny any of that. But we have got to say at the beginning of this conversation, I am going to develop a heart that is unoffendable. Brant Hansen in his book says, The cross simultaneously stands as a constant reminder of God's willingness to pay the bill and as an indictment on us when we are unwilling to do the same for others. I'm telling you, if you've never read Unoffendable, that guy is gold and he will challenge you to keep your heart in the right place. We are called to live in the same way Jesus did. This is how he did it for us. This is what he calls us to do for others.
In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is talking to a church full of human beings that struggle to be in relationship with each other. He gives two women by name and even says, help them to agree together. So for people that say, well, I left that church, there was too much conflict. If you think you're going to find a church without conflict, keep looking. There is no such thing. As long as there are people in this age, there will be conflict. It's how we handle conflict that matters. It's how we keep our love on toward each other as we work through our differences. If there are not people at your table that are, are disagreeing with you, your table's not big enough because your, your table's an echo chamber. You need to hear from different, peop- different followers of Jesus who have fully committed their life to him, who don't see the world the exact same way you do, who cause you to wrestle with some of the issues in your own heart. That's what the body of Christ is all about. That's why we bear with each other. That's why we need each other. Paul says to this group, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourselves, not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was his mindset? How did Jesus treat people? Really begin to ask yourself that question as we go through this month of the well-ordered heart, the unoffendable heart. How did Jesus really interact with people? How did he talk to them? I believe that Jesus lived like no one else. I mean, he had the kingdom like operated in such power in his life because Jesus was willing to live like no one else. He humbled himself so fully that he was even willing to give his life. He was so committed to the Father. That level of honor and submission and humility attracts the kingdom. I don't know if you understand this. The Old Testament prophecies about Jesus were not written about Jesus. Hear me. I know some of you are like, whoa, what did Pastor John just say? The Old Testament prophets were pointing to what the Messiah would look like, what the people of God were always called to do, how they were called to live, how they were called to be. Uh, Out of Egypt I've called my son, not just referencing Jesus, but referencing the people of Israel. And so all of the prophecies point to the, the culmination of what the perfect Israelite would look like. Now when Jesus came, he fulfilled all of those prophecies to a T. He was the perfect Israelite, fulfilled all the prophecies, but not so he would be the only one, so he would be the firstborn among many brothers, so that you and I would live like he did here on this earth. But when we think that Jesus was the one special one, and ah man, no one could ever be like that. We're called to be like that, and we're given the Spirit to actually make it possible he ate with tax collectors and sinners the pharisees said if jesus knew what kind of woman was touching him he knew what kind of woman was touching him he just wasn't as bothered by it as they were do you know that in all the times jesus entered a town and he needed to send the disciples for food he often just sent a few of them he never sent all of them except once do you know when he sent them all samaria Ask yourself why he had to send them all away to talk to a Samaritan woman. Because their level of prejudice wouldn't have been able to be in the conversation with the Samaritan woman. And some of us carry such hatred and junk towards certain people that if Jesus wanted to minister to them, he'd have to send you away so he could minister to them. I don't want to be that one. I want to be there. I want to be there and I want to be confused. I want to be like, I don't know why that woman's touching him, but... I'm not going to say anything because he's Jesus. And so I just want to learn something. God, my heart feels offended, but why? And we don't want to ask those questions. God, my heart feels offended, but should it? Should I be offended right now? Are you offended right now? Or would you be washing feet right now? I don't, help me, Lord. Two passages of scripture I'd love you to read with this week. Um, Matthew chapter 18. Jesus tells the story of a servant who had been forgiven a $10 billion debt. $10 billion debt, imagine. I mean, it's not like the national debt, but that's a pretty big number. Anybody write a check today for $10 billion in the room? 
I always like to make sure I see all the hands that go up when I ask for the $10 billion check. Okay, nobody. It's impossible. It's a huge debt. And that debt gets forgiven. Imagine how you would feel if you literally had a $10 billion debt and you were going to go to prison until you paid it off and it was just forgiven. And you walk outside and you find someone who owes you $10,000. Now still, $10,000 is a good sum of money. In fact, if anybody that, who doesn't believe 10000 is a lot of money? I want to see those hands too, okay? It is. $10,000 is still pretty significant. It's just not $10 billion. So the offenses that people do to us, they're, they're, they're painful, they're hard. They just don't compare. And at the end of that parable, Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. And yet, the church world, we act like abortion and homosexuality and all of these other things are like the main problems. And there's so much in our hearts that we're, we're not really going to deal with. There's so much offense and there's so much bitterness and there's so much anger. And we ought to be saying, God, get that out of us. I honestly believe if the church would start dealing with our heart issues, removing our log, we would start seeing clearly to remove the speck from the people's eyes out there. I do. I just believe the word and I believe that's how it works. John chapter 21 is the other one. And um, I want to end today with just a couple quotes from Brant Hansen from his book, Unoffendable. Because John chapter 21 is the encounter with Jesus and his disciples after they failed. <laughs> you know, remember when they all ran away from him and uh, they all said they were going to die for him, but none of them did until later on. And this, this shows you how Jesus treats people because by our standards, Jesus treats people differently. In fact, many times Jesus treats people the opposite way of what we think he should. And so this is what Brandt says. He says, what, here's a test. What does a properly religious leader do when seeing his so-called best friends for the first time after they disowned him and betrayed him in his hour of need? A. Does he show them the error of their wicked ways by pronouncing harsh, deserved judgment upon them? Or B, give them a stern talking to, but offer forgiveness if they prove themselves truly repentant? Or C, fry them up a hearty breakfast? And he does C. God walked among us. This is Brand. Even though we completely messed everything up, he took on flesh lowering himself to be with us and walked in our world. He let us mock, bruise, and beat him and deliberately subject him to an utterly humiliating capital punishment on display for all. He let us do that. He let us do that. He wanted to be with us that badly. And there he is, encountering his friends for the first time, and while they're coming back to shore, towards the shore in their boat, God himself is making breakfast. If you suspect you're unlovable, he loves you. If you wonder deep down if anyone could really truly know you and still want you, he knows you better than you know you, and he wants you. If you've given up on yourself, he hasn't given up on you. This isn't feel-good talk. It's the rightful conclusion we draw from the cross itself. He still loves us because he's a father, the one we've always wanted. And some of us are so hard on people out there because that's how we suspect God is with us. But the same mercy and grace that saved you will keep you and he is with you, and he is fighting for you. We're sometimes afraid that we're going to give people the wrong idea. We're going to condone sin, or people are going to just keep on, they're going to keep on sinning, and that's not what this grace is all about. In fact, when we truly believe in this grace, it will actually start freeing people from the power of sin. But in order for people to experience it, there have to be willing people to absorb offense. 
There have to be people that say, Jesus, I'm going to overlook what they said. I'm going to overlook what they did. And I'm going to keep pressing in. I'm going to keep going after them with love. I'm going to maybe confront when I need to, but I'm going to offer. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to love them the way you did. And when we exercise that level of humility and compassion and power and love, it attracts the kingdom. One final quote, and then I'm going to pray. We've been talking about this idea of balance, so I just couldn't let this one go. In the book, Brandt talks about this unbalanced kingdom of God, the unbalanced kingdom. He says this, the kingdom of God knows nothing of balance. It's as balanced as, say, a teeter-totter with a gnat on one side and a hippo with, say, a grand piano on the other. No, wait, that's misleading. The gnat has to move. It's a teeter-totter with nothing on one end and a hippo, grand piano, and a gnat because I just moved the gnat over there. In the economy of the kingdom of God, we can't even afford the gnat. The kingdom is not balanced. It doesn't operate via our common sense. And you can't possibly try as you might take it too far. Being a citizen of that kingdom means operating in a whole new economy. And grace, unfair, imbalanced grace, is the currency. By the way, I've learned it's worth reminding that extending grace does not mean and has never meant that there is no such thing as sin, or that there's no such thing as right or wrong, or that God smiles on all our actions. There is sin. There is right and wrong. And God, like any loving father, of course, cares about what we do and who we are. But that's why grace is grace. It amazes us because we really don't deserve it. Because we really have failed. Because there really is so much reason for God to walk away from us instead of running toward us. God doesn't love all the things we do. He loves us in spite of the things we do. Let's do something crazy and imbalanced here. Let's embrace the unfairness. Why? Because not only is it in our best interest, but also, frankly, Jesus gives us no other option. Who wants to have an unoffendable heart? I do. I do. When we close today, I'm going to ask you, if you want an unoffendable heart, as I pray, we're going to put our hands out, we're going to receive, we're going to pray. But I want you to close your eyes for just a moment because I want to make sure that everyone in this room has been reconciled to God. And if you're here today and you are not in relationship with God, you've never been reconciled to God through Jesus' death, you've never come to Him, admitted you've sinned, believe that Jesus took your punishment on the cross and committed your life fully to him. You've never made that choice. And today you're, you say, I want to be in relationship with God. I want to be reconciled. And if that's you, I don't want to close before I ask that question. And would you be honest enough to just lift up your hand and say, that's me. Today I want to be reconciled with God. I'm not going to ask you to move. I'm not going to ask you to go anywhere and I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know that you're here and I want to pray for you. So one that would say, I want to be reconciled to God today. If you're watching online today and that's you, would you put in the chat or send us a private message that says, I want to be reconciled to God. If you've got questions, we want to give you as much answers as we have. We want to help point you in the right direction. We want to help you find a church where you can plug in. We want to help lead you into that reconciliation with God. And so either in the chat or send a private message so that we can follow up with you after the service today. For the rest of us that are in the room, if you're here today and you say, man, I want an un unoffendable heart. And I want you to know the cost. And I feel like I pretty much laid out the cost pretty well. I'm going to be asking you to do, I'm not asking you, he is. <laughs> He's asking us to do one of the most difficult things that we're ever going to have to do, and it's to lay down our life. Not to die, but to lay down our life. To lay down our preferences, to lay down our right to speak, 
to lay down our right to be right, to absorb an offense for the sake of bringing reconciliation into someone's life. If you're here today and you say, yeah, I, I, I want that. I hear that call of the kingdom. Pray for me. I want an unoffendable heart. I'm just going to ask you that you put your hands out in front of you in a receiving posture. And we're going to pray. And as we pray, if the Holy Spirit brings a person to your mind or an attitude, maybe a group of people, maybe, maybe he's going to bring to your mind a Facebook post that you've put out there this week that needs to come down. I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to trust that he's going to speak to each of us as we pray and ask him for an unoffendable heart. He's going to show us maybe a step that needs to be taken, an apology that needs to be offered, a mindset that needs to shift. So just listen for what he says and then respond however he leads you to respond. So Father, thank you. Thank you for this amazing love that you have lavished on us that you demonstrated by sending your son to this earth to deal with our mess. Jesus, thank you for willingly coming to this earth, for laying aside your rights and your privileges, for humbling yourself and taking on human flesh and for, for humbling yourself even to the point of death, for the way you responded to those that let you down, even in your, your greatest hour of need. Jesus, give us those types of hearts. Holy Spirit, help us to cultivate unoffendable hearts. Father, we live in a world that is so easily offended. We live in a world right now that is just spewing hatred, anger, bitterness, rage. Fill our hearts with compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility. Help us to be the gateway to unlock hearts so that people can be reconciled to God. Help us to shine like stars in this city as a church full of people with unoffendable hearts. Empower us to live this out, I pray. Help us to encourage each other to live it out every day of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. And uh, I'd encourage you, again, the life you've always wanted, some great follow-up questions as we just unpack this idea throughout the month of July, um, how to have that well-ordered heart, that unoffendable heart. So if you want to grab a cup of coffee this week, maybe process through some of that together, I'm open for that. Would love the opportunity to meet with you. Uh, if you want to stop by the table before you leave today as well, a lot of information out there for you and pick up whatever it is that you need from the table. Thanks for being here. God bless you as you go.